Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, February 19th. So this week was Lily and Kane's wedding, and I have to admit to you that I was I was swept away. I was swept away to a magical land in France. <laughs> and I I completely was in the moment and enjoyed it fully. So if you guys out there are not Lillian Kane fans, you're probably going to just want to fast forward this <laughs> for the next few minutes uh, because I'm just going to be gushing over it. I, I love an on-location shoot, and I assume that's what it was. I don't know. Am I? I mean, I, it looked real. Do you guys know, was that actually filmed on location in France? I got, I totally got um, the vibe that it was, and I enjoyed it. It was so nice to see so many of the cast members there, and it was just really such a magnificent gesture by Catherine. Catherine loves love. <laughs> She is a sucker for Valentine's Day, which, by the way, where the hell is Murphy? <laughs> Murphy really should have been in on this whole thing, giving the giving of the gifts. I miss Murphy. Shoot, I haven't had to even talk about my main crush, my main man in so long. There is Murphy is missing from the landscape, you guys. <laughs> we need to bring him back, but... In the meantime, Catherine is in a good mood, she loves love, and she wants to give Lillian Kane a fantastic, magical wedding. And that's exactly what she did. She shows up at Lillian Kane's apartment, where pretty much everybody is. Neil and Sophia and Devon and Abby and even Tracy was there, and she just announces to them all that her wedding gift to Lillian Kane is that she's going to scoop everyone up in that room, put them on her private jet, and whisk them away <laughs> to France, to Provence, France, for a second chance wedding. It was so magnificent, is the only word for it. I, I just loved it. I really did. Everything down to the tiniest little details of the wedding. I mean, of course, there was you know, everybody gathering together and walking around on the grounds of this hotel that they were staying at that was grand. It was a, a grand hotel. I mean, they had these lavish gardens and these very beautifully and precisely trimmed hedges. And everyone, especially Harmony, is looking around just starstruck at how incredible it is. And, you know, Jill has her sunglasses on and she's enjoying a, a stroll and uh, Neil and um, uh, Sophia are there with Moses. And of course, Lily and Kane have, are there with their babies as well. So it was just a full on family affair uh, and, a, and a trip to, to France. It was just, um, uh, wow. It was so wow. And um, later, just the actual ceremony was so moving to me. There were some moments beforehand that I thought really needed to happen and really helped build up to the moment where Lily and Kane said, I do. And part of it was um, Lily having Tracy and Abby. Er, Tracy, my goodness, I'm losing my mind right now. I'm not with it. <laughs> She had Olivia and Abby in her little suite with her as she's getting ready for her wedding, and Abby gives her this gift. It was a bracelet of Colleen's, and that was something that both Tracy and Ashley and Abby had decided that they wanted Lily to have, and I did really appreciate that Colleen was woven in to the storyline quite a bit. That was Lily's best friend, and... In any other circumstance, if Colleen would have been alive, she would have been Lily's maid of honor. So I appreciated that her presence was there, even though she wasn't there, and the bracelet was beautiful. And Olivia also chimed in and gave Lily a hair comb that was Drusilla's and that she wore at her first wedding. I don't know how Olivia 
ended up with it because Lily wore it at her first wedding anyway, but she gave it to Lily and that made her feel like Drew had a presence at the wedding and that meant something to me. And I also noticed that Olivia, I know we've seen her on the scene a little bit more within the past few months, but Olivia has not aged a day. Have you guys noticed that? She still looks pretty much the same as she did, like, ten years ago when she left the show. Olivia looks the same as I have remembered her from when I started watching in the 90s. It's wonderful to see. I I would love to know what her secret is, but she looks so good. And she mentioned Nate once when she was talking to Lily. And that reminded me also that didn't YNR recast Nate just a few months to maybe a year ago? And what happened with that? Nate was hanging out on the scene a little bit, and it seemed like maybe they were going to start to build storylines around him, and then he just disappeared. So I'm curious to know about that, if anyone has any opinions on that. But, you know, otherwise, I just felt that that was a very special little moment between Lily and the girls. And then later, Lily had another really special moment with Neil. And she initially said that she didn't want Neil to walk her down the aisle. She wanted to be strong and do it on her own. But then as soon as she saw Neil's face and how proud he was of her and just beaming with happiness, she realized that she wanted her father to walk her down the aisle. And he was so pleased. He was perfectly happy to let Lily go and do her own thing. But he was so pleased that she reached out to him and asked him to to be there for her and, and, and walk with her on this day, which is a heck of a lot more, by the way, than what Malcolm did. <sighs> Before Lillian Kane left Genoa City, Malcolm, they did receive a flower arrangement from Malcolm, which created a very awkward moment for Sophia. But still, Malcolm... Having awkward moments and an awkwardness between you and Sophia and Neil doesn't mean that you have stopped being Lily's biological father. Malcolm fought so hard to try to be in Lily's life, and he wanted the status as Lily's father, and yet when she's getting married or at the various twists and turns in her life, he's not there. So this just reinforces to me the fact that Neil is, was, and always will be Lily's father. And I thought that it was, it was good to have him there. And I think she appreciated it, and he appreciated it, and I think that he also brought that element of Drusilla into the whole wedding vibe. And the whole wedding vibe was luxurious. They had the ceremony outside in this huge courtyard. Massive courtyard. I mean, when we say Neil helped Lily walk down the aisle, it was like a mile from where they started to where the priest was. It was an, an enormous outdoor venue, but again, so beautiful. They had this, like, instead of rolling out a red carpet or a, or a, some sort of mat for her to walk down, the entire aisle was covered just with rose petals. I cannot even imagine how much this cost. <laughs> how much did this set Catherine back? <laughs> I would love to know, because it was detailed. The, 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 the details were insane. And um, finally, Lily gets to the end of the aisle, and she has this moment with Kane, and it just feels like, almost like that long aisle represented the long path that they had to take to get together. And it was so wonderful to finally see them come together and seeing them dressed up and looking all perfect the way they both are. Lily looked amazing. Her dress, I'm usually kind of critical of wedding dresses because there are none that I like. I just typically don't like wedding dresses. I don't think they look good. They look weird to me. But Lily had on a shorter, tighter dress, of course, because she can get away with it. And the sleeves uh, were lace. And the back of it, it had, the, like, the back 
the the shots of her from the back, you could see that the dress had like a deep V-neck plunge, and it was laced all around on the back and the sleeves and the front. It was so, oh, I was so jealous. <laughs> Crystal Khalil has such an amazing body, and she looked so good. She had on these heels that were perfect, and her hair was perfect, and she was just perfect. <laughs> It was wonderful. And Kane also looked very kind of dorky cute. <laughs> Kane was going for a different vibe. It was very non-traditional, I think. Like, he had on this kind of, I'm going to call it gingham. It kind of was like a blue gingham print shirt, dress shirt. And then a, it seemed like a deep, dark blue suit, and then his tie was stripes. So it was like stripes stripes on top of gingham. It was intentionally kind of mismatched, mismatched, but it worked. It was disjointed, but it worked. And they just made such a, such a nice little couple. And they got to the point where they were saying their vows, surrounded by everyone in their family that loves them, surrounded by this extraordinary from just setting that they were in just a an absolute uh heavenly setting and they're talking to each other saying their vows and i thought it was kind of cool that their vows were really practical they talked a lot about how you know wh- how they're going to um split up household chores or okay you're going to walk i pr- i i Kane promised that I will walk Humphrey at least half of the time. And, you know, just very practical, kind of cute, meaningful, down-to-earth things that they were promising each other. But then there was a larger sense of knowing that they have gone through so much just to come back to this point and just to be together. And it was, it, it, it melted my heart. As you know, I'm sure, I have felt critical of Lillian Kane ever since Kane was lying to her about the whole Colin thing, and then, well, and, I mean, larger, he lied to her about being dead. I, that, it's, it's hard to forgive that, and it's been difficult for me, but I do feel that Weiner did a good job of slowly building back up their relationship and not shoving it right down our throats right away again, and so... I feel at peace with Lillian Kane. They have a family together, and marriage it seems to me to be something that you're in for better and for worse. And there is a bond between Lillian Kane, and they're trying to honor that bond for themselves and for their children. And I think that's important. And you know what? Aside from all that, I feel like. Hey, if everyone else in the Winters family, even Neil, even Devon, can has forgiven Cain, why, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't we? Why shouldn't we go along with the with the flow here? And by the way, just I can't speak. I can't help but mention. Speaking of Devon, Devon was hilarious this week. He was so funny. He's actually starting to get his personality out there. It was just like before they left Genoa City, there was this moment in the living room where everybody's going, where's Devon? Where's Devon? And he walks out holding a huge sandwich. (laughs) It's just like, what? I was hungry. That was so funny. And then he was kind of messing with Kane a little bit. You know, just as the girls had their pre-wedding moment, the boys had the moment, too, where Neil and Devon and Kane were kind of buddy-buddying around. And, you know, which, by the way... It, Neil and Devon were very anti-Kane for a very long time, and now here they are acknowledging the relationship and, in fact, pushing for it and giving it their full blessing. And Devon is Kane's best man, and he starts messing with the with Kane a little bit about the rings, trying to pretend like he lost the rings, and that was cute. It was a just a very uh, I don't know, it was a very honest moment, I, th- I think, between the two guys, and I enjoyed that. And also, after the wedding, everybody came to this 
lavishly set <laughs> dinner table and they had wine and food and talking and fun time. It was kind of like the reception, only it was, yeah, it was like the reception, basically. And Lillian Kane cut their cake and everybody was chatting around the table. And Devon, again, was kind of funny. He was a little bit drunk, I think. He was tipsy. <laughs> he gave a speech, but he just was just, oh, just seemed a little bit lit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was funny. So just all in all, I loved it. What did you guys think of it? Are you back in for Lillian Kane? I know some of you aren't, but I just <sighs> France. How could you not love it? And I'm sure that the entire occasion was 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 beautiful even from a distance even from a discreet distance so genevieve learns that lily and kane are scheduled to be married it was jill actually that blabbed about it to her and she realizes that she is totally not on the guest list Kane told her last week or the week before that he just doesn't want to have anything to do with her. He's tired of the lies. And he meant it. So, no invite for Genevieve. But that's not going to stop her. Oh, no. Genevieve decides to follow the entire wedding party to Provence. She doesn't even know where it is. She's just doing detective work. In fact, she called and duped Esther to get the address of the wedding. Why, Genevieve? See, it was weird. She was stand. I mean, the whole for the whole ceremony, Genevieve is standing off in the corner, <laughs> hiding behind a hedge, peeking out, in all black, as if she was going to a funeral, just peering over at the whole wedding and crying and I want to feel bad for Genevieve I really do because because I like her and in some ways I do understand her I think that she's had a hard life she's made some bad decisions up to and including recently and she just can't seem to get her footing and it's hard to feel like that. It's hard to hate yourself. And I think deep down, she kind of does hate herself. But she kind of, it kind of feels like she did crash the wedding. She didn't, nobody saw her there except for Jill, which Jill immediately, or well, Jill told Neil, which I'm sure that the, that will all play out once everybody gets back to Genoa City. I'm sure that Genevieve will have discussions with both Neil and Jill about it. But the thing is, Genevieve, this is the reason that Cain doesn't trust you. You you're sneaky. You kind of sneaky. And I'm not saying that Cain has any room to judge her whatsoever. I do kind of think that <sighs> Cain just doesn't want to have anything to do with her. I can kind of see his point. I can kind of see her point. Nobody's blameless here. Nobody's a saint. But if Cain didn't want you at his wedding, Genevieve. You shouldn't have gone. It's not about you. It was about him and his choices. And I just think that it was rude of her to kind of track them down. I don't know. Do you guys feel that way? I felt like it was rude of her to track them down and kind of like peep at their wedding. If, if Genevieve wants to feel bad about something, feel bad about what you did to Jack. That's where you should save up all of your, you know, guilt, and you should you know, f use it for Jack, because there's where you really did screw something up. Jack loved her, and he let her into his house. He let her into his life. He let her into his business, and she did screw up. She did screw up, and <laughs> I just don't understand why she has abandoned him. I could not believe that she ran away from the wedding when she did, and I kind of can't believe that she's not trying, at least trying, to be there for him now. Like, 
If she would just explain to Jack the reasons why she did what she did, I can't help but feel like he would understand. When she had the talk with Kane, I think it was, where she explained that she was damaged goods and how, and the reason why she bought Beauty of Nature was because she was afraid that she was going to disappear in Jack's life. All of that made sense to me. I empathized with her big time in that moment. And rather than just calling Jack from your cell phone while he's sitting in a wheelchair and crying at him and basically looking for forgiveness... Rather than doing that, why don't you show up at the at the hospital and try to talk to him or try to do little things, try to make some kind of recompense? Why isn't she even trying? She, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> well, Jack isn't having it. And I'm kind of with him on this. He, when Genevieve called him, was basically like, look, I don't want to have anything more to do with you. I don't forgive you. What you did to me was wrong, and I'm over it. Which, after he hangs up the phone, you see this look on his face, which implies that he's totally not over it. But there's always room for revenge, wouldn't you say? Because Ashley comes to visit him later, and he asks her to check with the lawyers and see if there's any recourse that he has against Genevieve. Because... After all, she looked at his bid, knew what it was, used personal reasons to look at it, and then went and outbid him. So there was a little something shady there. She did kind of commit some level of fraud, I would think, if the lawyers can prove it. And Ashley is really hoping that Jack doesn't choose to put his energy toward this. I mean, Jack is begging to walk again. He's ba practically borderline badgering the physical therapists to help him walk again as soon as possible. Yet, he's focusing energy on revenge against Genevieve, revenge against Victor. And I, I mean, I don't necessarily think that that is healthy for him, but at the same time, I kind of want to see it. I kind of want to see him sue Genevieve's ass and take beauty of nature away from her because she is in a mindset right now where she's screwed everything else up in her life. She, Her son hates her. Jack doesn't want to have anything to do with her. The only thing that she has is beauty of nature. And she can't even find anybody to run it. I, uh, so, even though she has pushed Victor away denied all of his offers. Victor has approached her on several occasions about just getting Beauty of Nature back. She she is now start she's always turned him away and now all of a sudden she's starting to go soft on it, which I don't know, I kind of just wish Beauty <laughs> Genevieve would just give Beauty of Nature to Jack or sell it to him or offer to sell it to him for crying out loud. But if she now goes behind Jack's back and starts hooking it up with Victor, that's double, double crossing. Is there anything else you could possibly do to this man, <laughs> Genevieve? It's ridiculous. And I'm a little annoyed with her about it. There, Victor ugh, has decided to fly to France because he senses that Genevieve is in a vulnerable position right now. He's got spies practically on her 24-7, and she's been crying all over the place. So I'm sure he's got people reporting that she is feeling emotional right now. And so he decides to go to France to try to, again, in person... Talk her out of the company. Talk her into selling it to him. And the offer that he's made is so outrageous. He basically is telling her that he wants to bring Beauty of Nature under the Newman umbrella. And in exchange, she gets to be Victor's right hand. Ooh, what a huge coup. Yeah, let's see. You could own the company outright and be the boss of everything, or you could give it back to Victor and be one of his executives. Hmm. <laughs> like, wh what seems like a better choice here, Genevieve? She's, ugh, it's gross. They're hanging out in 
in in France and Vic like he's trying he's getting her to go back to his hotel suite to crack open a bottle of champagne and negotiate this over and he's like it sort of has a sexual e feeling about it doesn't it he's sort of talking in soft hushed tones and saying by the by the time we get to the end of this champagne bottle we will have arrived at a deal and it's it's making me ill it's disgusting if genevieve goes along with this and lets this happen all he is gonna do is double cross her i don't know maybe that's exactly what she deserves I am so disappointed in Victor. I don't think I ever stop being disappointed in Victor. Weiner sucked us in this week with another Nikki and Victor Valentine love fest. It was so romantic. I was totally in it. They were in bed together talking about how much they love each other. Oh, and before that, Victor arranges, <laughs> Nikki comes home and he arranges this special dinner uh, with, for her favorite chef has come to the ranch and he's cooking, preparing a meal especially for her. He's left his restaurant, his successful restaurant, just for this night. This must have cost him a fortune just for this night to cook a special meal for Nikki. And instead of, I don't know, putting on a record in the background, Victor has live music. He has a pianist and a violinist and they're playing soft mood music and Nikki gets home and she's, oh, oh, it's my Valentine's present. And he, Victor walks out and he's in a full-on tuxedo and he's looking dapper. And Nikki says, oh, I'm underdressed for the occasion. Well, guess what? There is a gown waiting upstairs for you. It's been sized to you perfectly from Fenmore's and sent here just for you. So why don't you go upstairs and try it on? And she comes downstairs and she looks beautiful and it's a, a wonderful dinner moment together. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's everything we've been wanting. All of those months of Victor in jail and the push and pull and does he love her? Doesn't he love her? And will they? Won't they? Will they? Won't they? And it just culminates in this wonderful Valentine surprise. And then they decide, oh, we need to be alone. So they go, Victor whisks her upstairs into the bedroom where they presumably make love and fall asleep and wake up in the morning staring at each other's faces, saying how much they love one another. And Victor reaches over onto the nightstand and pulls out a set of brochures. And each brochure is for a different exotic location around the world. Uh, Paris and London and... Uh, Madrid, and even Kenya. And Victor proposes that they go on a world tour. Just cause, you know, just, just, as a, just as a special romantic time together. And uh, Nikki decides she can't go, but it's the gesture that counts, and it's wonderfully romantic. And it was so exactly like how my Valentine's Day was. I was like, whoa, YNR, how did you know? Like, that's exactly what happened to me. And I was like, you know, maybe I could go on a world tour, but mm, I don't know. I think I'll stay here in my crappy house. <laughs> And instead of, like, a really great dinner, how about I cook dinner again? <laughs> don't don't bother bringing in a special chef for me. I'll just cook. I'll, I'll make some tacos. <laughs> so romantic. But the point is, alas, I am drawn in by Victor's romantic gesture only to learn that he indeed has a connection to Anita, Chelsea's mom. So Anita decides to just randomly go pay a visit to Victor this week, and he's, of course, like, get out of here. You're, 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 you're never allowed to be in here. You have no business being in here. And we have a telephone for these occasions, if you should need to contact me. And he has her... <laughs> promptly thrown off the ranch, but not before one of the manhandlers ends up whacking her over the ear and she loses an earring and it drops onto the ranch floor. <sighs> I'm so 
angry <laughs> to learn of this connection. You know, does Victor ever learn? Does he ever learn? He pulled this crap with Billy and keeping him locked up, and all that did was continually alienate him from his daughter, from his wife, from everyone in his family, and he still pulls these same old tricks. I don't know why I even bother to think that anything is ever going to be any different, because it never is. And it's like we get these one little moment, we get one little moment of bliss with Nikki and Victor and everything being okay, followed by a hundred moments of strife and just crap and lies. Nikki straight up asked Victor, straight up asked him if he had anything to do with Anita or Chelsea or did he have anything to do with that situation? And he looked her dead in the face and he said no. Well, that would have been all fine and good, except that Nikki discovered the earring lying on the floor, realized that earlier she saw Anita's missing earring, made a big production out of it. And put two and two together that Anita was at the ranch, therefore, connection between Anita and Victor. And I, I loved, <laughs> I loved Nikki this week, outside of the fact that she looked amazing. She's been walking around town in this fur coat that's, uh, it's like a camel-colored coat, but then it's got this huge, beautiful brown and camel neckline, and I believe it also had fur around the sleeves. Just, it's, it's just... Oh, it's opulent. This opulent fur coat. And her hair has been looking really good. On Friday's show, she was wearing this white blouse with this tie kind of in the front. And her hair was up with little tendrils hanging down. It was really gorgeous. And I, lo I would love to see Nikki just smack Anita across her bloated plastic face. <laughs> I'm sorry. There is aging gracefully, and then there is this woman. I know you guys told me last week she's from, like, Dukes of Hazard, which I didn't watch. I don't have any connection to, so I don't even know what she looked like at that time, but it don't look so good right now. I'm sorry. She just don't look so good. But I was glad to see Nikki start out just being very nice to her, just offering to take her to lunch, and then whammo, like, grabbing her purse and dumping it out on the table to try to find the other earring to match them together, and then questioning Anita about her connection with Victor, and Anita quickly came up with this lie, you know, saying that, what did she say? She just went to Victor to make sure that he wasn't gonna be mad about Chelsea's situation. Just a lie. Just a lie. And Nikki was so amazing, as she always is. She just deduced right away that it was a load of crap, told Anita to get out of her face, get your own ride home, by the way. And she called up Victor on her cell phone and tried to get a hold of him to get his explanation for this. He told her straight up he had nothing to do with Anita, and now she has proof. So she asks him about it, and what does he say? <sighs> I wish I had it on a recording. I wish I had it on a record so I could just play it over, or a recorder. Anytime anybody questions Victor about anything, I have my reasons for what I've done. 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 If you didn't catch that, that was a tape recorder rewinding <laughs> and replaying his excuse into infinity because that's all it ever is from him. It's, I have my reasons. You don't need to know them. Just trust me. I'm Victor Newman. And Nikki's like, ah, great. You know, she feels the same way I do. Like, thanks a whole lot. I just have gone from this blissful moment, and now I realize that you've just flat out lied to me. And Victor doesn't even try. It, he almost doesn't even seem to blink an eye. They talked while he was in the middle of negotiation with Genevieve, and it doesn't even seem to bother him that he's just been found out. He is impossible to deal with. And I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I really, truly, sincerely do because I like Victor in so many other ways. I'm not a Victor hater. I think a lot of people are, and I just have a soft spot for him. I cannot help it. My question is, and this is the question that I just, I'm really hoping gets addressed soon. 
How long has Victor been involved with Anita and Chelsea? When was his last contact with Anita and Chelsea? Is it something where he started this back when he was trying to set up Billy and we all know he did that and then pushed, realized it was a bad idea and stayed away from him? Or has he been continually orchestrating this all the way uh, up until now? That's my question. And it's going to make all of the difference in the world. And I can't wait till he gets back from France so he can explain himself. Billy and Victoria had their Valentine party, private party together this week as well. Billy decided to rent out Jimmy's bar so that they could be alone together and play games and have drinks and, you know... Do it on the jukebox. <laughs> and, you guys, I don't know why, but I just, I'm having a hard time getting into Billy and Victoria this time around. I really liked them for the first part of their marriage when it was all forbidden and naughty and they were getting married on the beach in Jamaica and everybody was against it, but and they were totally opposite, but somehow they've come together. And <clears throat> now... I don't know. I think that my feelings about Billy have just changed significantly. He's a fun, loving, funny guy, but he just feels so irresponsible to me. And ever since he stayed away from Delia while she had cancer because he had these false drug charges and slept with another woman, that just doesn't seem like good, a good enough of a reason to stay away from your daughter when she's sick. And that just, ever since then, I think I've just been subconsciously holding that against him, and I have not been able to get him to, to him and, and Victoria. There are honestly very few couples on the show that, and very few storylines in the show that I just am having, I have a hard time getting into. You know me, I'm usually excited about everything, but for some reason I just feel that Billy and Victoria together, I kind of think that Billy and Victoria together makes Victoria look kind of dumb sometimes. You know, like, she's got this sort of, I don't know, Billy comes off as being this kind of, like, playboy husband, and she is this ice queen, and I think that she just really does overlook a lot of his flaws. I don't know, maybe that's what, that's what love is, is looking over somebody's, you know, overlooking someone's flaws, but sometimes I think that Victoria is just blind to, to, to this... To, to Billy, because they wouldn't be in this whole situation with Chelsea unless Billy had ran off to Asia. Victor didn't have anything to do with that. That wasn't Victor's fault. Billy had problems in his marriage. The whole thing fell apart after he bought a baby on the black market, got him stolen away, and ran off to Asia because he couldn't handle the guilt, couldn't handle facing the responsibility, and he slept with Chelsea. That, again, that wasn't Victor's fault. Billy is irresponsible, and he brought this situation into their lives. Now, Chelsea is everywhere. Every time Billy and Victoria are trying to get comfortable, trying to smooch, Chelsea's there. Why don't they lock the doors? Why don't they let her... Ugh, why don't they have some kind of ground rules set? They're just letting her walk all over their life. They're, she's, they're letting her mother walk all over their life. Ugh, Anita's got Victoria getting her drinks. It's too pathetic. It's too desperate. It doesn't even seem like Victoria Newman to me. Victoria Newman is strong and secure and feisty and... Who is this woman who's falling over herself taking care of these two women? It's totally insane. And I don't know why they're letting it happen. Clearly, on a very conscious level, Billy and Victoria know that these two are working them. But they're trying to just hold out for the hopes that Chelsea's going to give them that baby. There's such a slim, slim chance of that. And even so, Billy made this offer to Anita this week to kind of pay her off. To say, well, once the baby's born, maybe I can get you a place far, far away from here. 
pretty much giving them money to make them go away. And I just don't see how that's going to end well for them. They had a situation set up where they could have adopted a baby, and now that's all been sidetracked because they're trying to deal with these two con artists that everyone knows are con artists. Billy and Victoria know it, Jill knows it, Nikki knows it, everybody pretty much knows it, and I'm having a hard time dealing with the situation. It makes me angry at Billy and Victoria. And we're seeing a lot of scenes this week where Chelsea and her mother have conflicting goals. Clearly, Anita just wants money. That she just wants the cold, hard cash. That's all she cares about. Chelsea has her mind set on Billy. She wants Billy. She would be happy if Victoria just disappeared off the face of the earth and suddenly she could move right on into her role. She loves the idea, she's beginning to love the idea of having Billy's baby and, you know, possibly having a family with him. And so we're starting to see these cracks in Chelsea's character and it seems almost intentional. Like, before Chelsea's mom came into the picture, Chelsea was the evil one. She was the bad guy. But now that Anita has come in, she's ten times worse. It's making Chelsea look like an angel. And we're seeing these scenes where Chelsea's starting to bond with the baby. Hey, that's great. You're only like, what, six, seven months along and you're just now starting to bond with your child. Oh, you know, like I'm supposed to feel for her because of that. And she's having these conversations with the baby like, I'm not going to let you have a childhood the way I did. And I'm going to make sure that you're far, far away from my mother. And I'm sorry, but I don't have sympathy for her at this point. She's still working a con. And there's no, I'm not feeling the redemption here. She's still, every time she turns around, she's trying to do something to break Billy and, Billy and Victoria up. She faked having pregnancy pains or labor pains this week and had everybody run to the hospital thinking she was in labor. And then later, she's she's always, oh, oh, over in the corner, like, oh, oh, the baby's kicking, you know, here, come feel it. So if, if Chelsea's having second thoughts on the one hand, I think she's still having vindictiveness in the other. So again, I don't feel sympathy for her, and I'm having a hard time feeling sympathy for Billy and Victoria. I just think that they have... Uh, have they learned nothing from the Jana situation? Jana was in that garage apartment for months and had the come, had come and go freely of the house, and now they're doing the same thing with Chelsea. Well, Jana ended up stealing your kids. This is not a safe situation, Billy and Victoria. You're opening yourself up for disaster, and that's exactly what you're going to get. Adam is super, super bitter this week. He is not adjusting very well to the fact that he is now blind, and Sharon is constantly trying to help him, and he is just pushing her away. And, by the way, hilarious moment when Sharon and Adam are at the farm, and Sharon realizes that the water heater is out. So she's going to go to the breaker to stick a screwdriver in it. <laughs> like... Okay, Sharon, I'm I, I'm not an electrician. I don't even know that much, but I know not to stick a metal object into a circuit breaker where electricity is flowing through. Uh, that seems like the most stupid thing you could possibly do. If you, I mean, go to the breaker. All you have to do is flick the little doodad. That's all you need to do. You don't need to get a screwdriver ever and mess. <laughs> And mess with the breaker, okay? You are Sharon Newman. You can call somebody and have someone deal with that for you. Just a little life lesson. Because Sharon sticks the screwdriver into the breaker and zzz, gets shocked. It was hilarious. <laughs> I was like the highlight of the week at the farm. Oh, I love the farm. I love the farm. And I wish that it was having a healing process for Adam or ha have a healing effect on Adam, but if that's the case, it's a very, very slow process. He is just not letting Sharon help him, even though he clearly needs the help. Every time she tries to reach out to him, he kind of smacks her hand away, and he's been trying to convince her this week to leave. 
You know, he tells her, I don't need your help. I'm going to hire somebody who's going to help me. I don't want you here. You belong with Faith. He's telling her that she should be with her daughter and not with him. And that's his entire argument. And I'm having trouble tuning into his emotions here. Why? Why is he pushing her away? Because I would think that Adam, the Adam that I know, would be using this as an excuse to get the one thing that he wants, Sharon. So why is he pushing her away? Is it all about faith? Is it truly that he just feels guilty for taking Sharon away from her life? It's it's difficult to understand him. He is newly blind, he is bitter, and he needs to lean into somebody. He needs to reach out to somebody. He can't continue to isolate himself. Enter hope. First, Adam goes to Hope's gravesite to visit her. And one thing I thought was very interesting that I had totally forgotten was that Hope's full name was Hope Adams Newman. And I don't know why I didn't make the connection before that that's where Adam got his name, because Adam's real name is Victor Jr. And when he came into town, to Genoa City, he didn't want to be known as Victor Jr. And he picked the name Adam, and it never occurred to me that that's why he chose that name. So that was a really cool revelation for me. And he is at the grave looking at the tombstone. Hope's right next to Cliff's. Remember Cliff, you guys? He was a well-meaning country boy. And he's talking to his mother and just feeling sad, and but yet feeling connected to her in the fact that he's now blind and they have this shared experience. And this guide that he's hired to help drive him places and obviously helped him find the tombstone comes up to him and says, you know, she was a really good woman. And I think that helped him to know, to well, to talk to somebody who knew his mother. And if you guys have ever lost somebody, it's, you know, it's nice. It's really so meaningful to talk to somebody who knew this person that meant so much to you and who's now gone. It's like a connection to them. So I think that meant something to him, meant something to me. As Adam walks away, a breeze blows, just a, a light breeze blows into the graveyard and brushes off some snow from the top of the tombstones. And it's a, a little foreshadowing that hope is there and she's coming back. And Adam goes back to the farmhouse. He's sitting at the table feeling terrible about his life and feeling like a piece of dirt. And hope appears to him to give him some encouragement and to tell him that he has the strength to get over this. And the most beautiful part of that interaction, I thought, was that Hope said to Adam, you are Victor Newman's son, but you're my son too. So you are as much him as you are me. And so while you have this darkness in you, while you have this drive and this passion and this kind of predatory instinct, you also have a great empathy and and resourcefulness, resourcefulness and ability to survive. And I think that gave him the strength that he needed to go on. And even after he pushed Sharon away, she decided to come back to him and he reunited with her and has decided that he is going to accept her help. They came together, and I think this is going to be like a nice new little beginning for them, and I'm not sure how much longer they're going to be hanging out at the farm. I'm sure that they'll be back in Genoa City, lickety-split. And, uh, you guys, I cannot not mention... Mmm, Adam, keep your glasses on! Please keep your glasses on! For the first couple of days of his blindness, I thought... These glasses, they're black and dark and dorky looking, and do we have to have these glasses on? Oh my goodness, this week he took off the glasses to reveal his totally creepy, translucent looking eyes. It was so weird. So now that he's blind, looking him in the eyes, there's no pigment. 
he's wearing Michael Mooney's like wearing these contacts. They're ghostly. They're so weird. It's it's. I can't stand looking at him in the eyes. <laughs> he, there was this dramatic moment where he pulled off the glasses for the first time to reveal his eyes. And I was like, oh, put it back on, put it back on. Finally, this week, Kevin was able to connect with Chloe after leaving her at the altar weeks and weeks and weeks ago disappearing, leaving her no trace of where he was, and then coming back married to Angelina, he finally pays a visit to the Chancellor Mansion to talk with her about it. And I was so glad, not that I'm some huge Kevin and Chloe fan, but just that I think that Chloe deserves an explanation. She needs to know what's going on. And I was filled with so much hope as Kevin actually started to explain the situation. He told Chloe the whole story. It, what happened on their wedding night, that they were, you know, everything about the gunshots and Angelina lying about being pregnant and then being on that island, everything up until today, and saying that he didn't want to marry Angelina. He wanted to marry her. And it was so nice to at least have the truth out there and to see Chloe starting to heal and starting to get some of the answers that he that she deserved. And I also felt that there was a lot of explanation. Like, I felt like I was getting some of the answers that I deserved. Because when Kevin left Chloe at the altar, I was pissed at him. And I was pissed at the scenario that Angelina had lied and that they had to go on the run. But what pissed me off the most, the thing that felt unforgivable to me, was the fact that he called Chloe and lied to her. I felt that if he just would have explained the situation to Chloe from the beginning, then all of this could have been avoided. He could have salvaged their relationship and above that, their friendship. You know, they used to be best friends and now they're nothing. Now it's awkward and painful for them to be around each other. And Kevin actually did explain that the reason he didn't tell Chloe the truth was because he didn't want her going after him. He didn't want her going to look for him. When Jana kidnapped him, Chloe was the one that found him. She she was busting out the fine Kevin shirts and, and using her instinct, their connection, to try to, to try to get him back. And Kevin didn't want that happening. He didn't want to bring her into the line of fire if, if he and Angelina were truly in danger. The problem is, just as he is explaining all of this to Chloe, he gets a phone call from an angry Angelo, angry that Kevin has left his new bride the day after their wedding party, and he tells Kevin that if he doesn't start paying more attention to his new bride and less attention to Chloe, then Angelo's gonna... Th threaten Chloe is going to take Chloe and send her off on the deserted island the same way he did to Jeff. So, direct threat. Angelo threatens Chloe, which, by the way, he kind of has already done before, but now the threat seems very imminent. And as soon as this happens, Kevin's total demeanor changes, and now all of a sudden he's right back to lying to Chloe. <sighs> I understand that he wants to protect her. I'm trying to be forgiving of that. However, did you learn nothing from that entire adventure that you just went on? You, you're turning around and you're making the same mistake again. You're lying to her to protect her. What are you, Kane? Should I start calling you Kane now, Kevin? You're better than that. You should have, yeah, you're better than that. That's all I can say. And it just ticks me off because he turns around and now tells Chloe, oh, uh, yeah, I started falling in love with Angelina. He has to backtrack, and now he tells her he started falling in love with Angelina, and so, yeah, he's in love with her now. So I wanted you to have the explanation, but just so you know, I'm still technically in love with Angelina. Clearly, I'm brimming with love for Angelina, so goodbye. And Chloe, like, kicks him out. It's ridiculous. Why does he have to lie? Why do people have to lie? <laughs> hmm. Well, it gets me talking. It gets us talking. I mean, he had an obligation to their little family, to Delia. 
to Chloe. I mean, Delia ended up having this party later on in the week, her birthday party. I mean, her, as Chloe explained it, like her after cancer party, her first birthday party after she's gone through this horrible, horrible illness that her father was barely there for. And Kevin was supposed to be there for her. He was supposed to be their little family, and now he's not there because of these lives and lies, and now he's married to somebody else. And it's just, I'm mad at him for that, and I feel horrible for Chloe. And, um, <laughs> Victor sent this present to Delia via Nikki, this huge, like, hand-tooled saddle so that she can come out to the ranch and ride Pinkerton. And just, it was a nice party other than, like, this awkward moment of Victor sending this elaborate gift. And I'm wondering, well, since when did, does he even care that much about Delia? Was he caring about her when she was keeping her, his, her father away? It's just, ugh, ugh. But other than that, other than that, I felt that Chloe did a really good job of going on with the party as if nothing had happened, as if her heart hadn't just been broken and then slightly healed and then rebroken again. She just was able to go on, and I felt so proud of her, sad for her, but proud of her, and I don't know what she's going to do. I'm not a fan of Kevin and Chloe's relationship, so part of me does kind of think, and you know, Angelina is just, she does have a heart, you know, she is seeing that Kevin is not happy, he doesn't love her. And it's breaking her heart. She said to him this week, you know, you you, you used to have this light in your eyes, and now that's all gone. And that's what I loved about you was that light in your eyes. And Kevin does seem like a dead man. The, he can't even shave. <laughs> Come on, Kevin. You're off the island. It's time to shave the beard, all right? He, he clearly looks disheveled, and everyone in the family is wondering what the problem is, and yet no one is really able to talk to him, and he's not confiding in anybody. Michael even gave him an opportunity this week. He said, look, whatever the problem is, we'll figure it out. Just tell me. Just talk to me. And Kevin's refusing to do it. And it's, um, it's supposed to be self-sacrificing, but I think it's selfish. I think that he's letting Angelo run his life, and it's ruining his life. It's ruining the life of people around him. He's not going to be able to keep up this charade for longer. He needs to take a page out of the book of Jeff and stand up to Angelo. Jeff has been hanging around Glowworm this week, trying to get back into Gloria's good graces. I don't know why they even let him in the building, but he's there. I'm surprised Angelo hasn't had him whacked. But he's there, and... Oh, Jeff. Oh, Jeff. Valentine's Day? He shows up at Glowworm with a plastic flower for Gloria and a box of Whitman's samplers. <laughs> Wow. What girl could resist that? We have a voicemail. Let's take a listen. Hi, Allie. This is Simone from St. Louis. I love, love, love your podcast. I listen to it on the way to work, and I've actually gone back to your very first podcast and started listening to them all. So I just had to call you and just tell you how I'm feeling this week about the whole Nikki moving back into the ranch thing. It's so strange. It's so weird. And while I want them to work, it's just not Nikki. It's not the Nikki that we've come to know, this, you know, Nikki who does her own thing and has her own mind. She's become very Stepford-like, and I don't understand that. It's as if she is, you know, skating on thin ice every time she speaks to Victor. She speaks to him in this really weird voice, like, yes, Victor, no, Victor, oh, Victor, you shouldn't do that. And that Valentine's Day celebration was so awkward. I mean, it must have been ridiculous for the staff who are standing around serving them, and they're making out in front of them. And, I mean, Nikki is dressed up like something from toddlers and tiaras, and Victor, the mustache, is sitting across from her as this dominant force in her life. And, you know, she looks at him and she goes, now, Victor, I do hope that you weren't responsible for bringing that ridiculous tramp into town to ruin her daughter's life. Seriously? 
Where is Nikki? I need the old Nikki back. Well, that's what I got for this week, and I'm going to keep listening and passing your podcast on to as many people as I can. And thanks so much for doing this. Later. Yay! That was awesome. Simone, thank you. Oh, my gosh. You are so good. Your impression of Nikki has me cracking up. I have to say, I think I do a fairly decent impression of Victor, and your Nikki is dead on. If I had some extra time this week, I swear I would cut together your, I would edit together your impression of Nikki with my impression of Victor, and we could do some YNR podcast theater. Yes, Victor. No, Victor. It's very true. I had not thought about that before, but I love your comment that she is seeming very Stepford, that she's very robotic and being very passive toward Victor. And I don't know if that's because she's still, I don't know, carrying around guilt about murdering Diane and maybe she's just in a really weak place or something right now. But I think... Nikki has always been somewhat submissive toward Victor. It wasn't even until the later years when she was insisting on getting a career and whatnot where she started standing up to him and that, of course, ended up resulting in their relationship falling apart. So I don't know if she's just feeling like maybe if I'm not passive to Victor or agreeing with Victor, then I'm going to lose him. I mean, I think we all kind of know that Victor and Nikki's relationship is thin ice. They are a very delicate couple. It's, you know, one thing goes wrong and all of a sudden, uh, you know, they're, they're falling apart again. And I'm honestly kind of wondering, I'm going to be so mad if this happens, but I'm kind of wondering, ugh. If Victor ends up sleeping with Genevieve, I will never forgive him. Just the way that that conversation was headed, the way they were being all sort of sexual and and let's get a bottle of champagne together. I got the vibe that there was just something extra there. And I swear to you, if Victor sleeps with Genevieve, I will never, ever forgive him. And then you have the element of Nikki going to visit Jack in the hospital so often. So I'm almost wondering if we're not going to see Victor moving off with Genevieve and Nikki moving off with Jack. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Jack was pro- would probably be better for her at this point. I think you're right. I'm, I get, you know, I get sucked in by the memories of Victor and Nikki. That's what the pull is for me. It's not so much what their relationship is now. It's what their relationship was before. And Victor is an impossible man. He is a dominating man. And he lied straight to her face. Straight to her face about the whole Anita thing. And it was pretty despicable. So... Oh my goodness, you're genius. I think, Simone, you should come do the podcast. <laughs> you're probably better than me. <laughs> I was very impressed with your comment. You're very eloquent and funny. And that's the kind of comment I'm I'm always looking for. So thank you so much. Um, and don't be afraid to call again. I would love to hear from you again. You rock. Okay, well... That's about it for this week's podcast. I hope that you guys have enjoyed the show. I certainly have. It's Valentine's Week. How could you not enjoy the Valentine's Week show? It's usually very romantic, and it didn't disappoint this week by any means. So I hope that you guys love it and that you decide to leave me a comment and contact me and let me know what your thoughts are about this week's show. There's a ton, and I know you guys have got opinions. And you're the ones that help keep me motivated and help keep my you're, you help keep me fresh and considering everything from the many different perspectives. It really does help me have like a, a well-rounded view of the show. It's talking to you guys has totally changed how I view the show. Seriously, you make so many better points than I do. Like in in a lot of ways, I think that my opinion is kind of like a weird mix of just all of you. <laughs> You've influenced me. Um, So keep influencing me. What you can do 
is if you'd like to contact me, you there's a couple ways. <laughs> you can give me a call and leave a voice message if you would like. It's just a voicemail. Um, so if you like to chat, it's you can just leave a 30-second or a minute-long comment. Just something easy and quick and let me know what you're thinking. And I may even put it into the following week's podcast if it's interesting. So here's the number that you can call to leave a voice comment. It's area code 309-588-4569. That's within the U.S., so it's country code 1-309-588-4569. Or you can go to my blog at yrchatblog.blogspot.com. I should get a better website. I really should. Oh my goodness. I've done so much website building lately. I don't I don't think I have it in me to build a new website. So so for now, yrchatblog.blogspot.com or you can just always send me an email to yrchat@live.com. And speaking of websites, I have been spending a lot of time, honestly, over the course of the last two years, building up a website for my business. I don't know if you guys know this, but I work for myself. I run a business. It's called Buttonhead, and I do this full-time. I make custom button pins and magnets and promotional mirrors and custom temporary tattoos. I make a hodgepodge of things and it's all handmade and it's all handmade by me. I've been doing this for nearly five years now. I almost can't believe it. (laughs) Nearly five years in business and it's going really, really well. I support myself full time with my business and rather than paying someone else to write a website for me, I decided that it's more cost-efficient in the long run for me to just learn how to do it myself. And I've been writing HTML. uh, I've been doing computer programming, honestly, since I was about 15. So I wasn't a total stranger to web development and design, but it really has been a journey in learning how to do it properly and to get the best results. And so it really... Over the past two years, I've been working on my business website, trying to make it the best it could possibly be with a shopping cart and good photos and great graphics and all of that stuff. And now I really feel like I finally have gotten it into a place where it needs to be. And I'm kind of proud of it. And I would love for you guys to check it out. It's just a little something extra. If you want to see it, see what I've done. You can go visit it online at buttonhead.biz. So it's B as in boy, U-T-T-O-N-H-E-A-D dot biz. Buttonhead.biz. If you want to see my web design skills put to use. And, you know, if you guys have a, a blog or a Facebook or a Twitter and you feel like posting the link to that website, that would actually help me out a whole lot. Um, I mean, that's my livelihood. That's my business. And links mean a lot. So if there's any chance you guys would like to help me promote the site, if you see it and you like it and you can link to it from somewhere, it really adds up. Those little links from Twitter or Facebook help to get me higher search engine rankings, which helps give me more visibility, which helps keep me in business, which helps keep me happy, (laughs) which helps keep me loving Y&R and loving life and podcasting. (laughs) So if you guys can help me out, that would be much appreciated. Um, Anything that you guys do Uh, to contact me is also appreciated. So I'll be looking forward to maybe hearing from you guys this week and coming back next week to chat with you again about the show. So, everybody, I love you so much. I hope that you guys have a fabulous week, and I'll see you again next time. Alrighty. Bye.